Hello and welcome to the next edition of Lights on Europe. Today we speak to Corinna Hörst, who's a deputy director of German Marshall Fund's Brussels office, but also a founder of many initiatives which aim to give voice to women in town and especially fight against men-only panels at the Brussels-based conferences. However, today we don't speak so much about this project. We speak more about her most recent experience of going through a burnout, what it meant for her, her lifestyle, her vision of whether we can have it all, and what are her tips for self-care practices and really lifestyle decisions that we can consider if we want to find the right balance of professional self-expression, our engagement in empowering the communities that we care for, and in her case, also being a single mother. So tune in. I'm sure you'll appreciate it and especially appreciate her vulnerability and openness about all these issues. Hello, Corina. Thanks for accepting the invitation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're going to start differently to what I expected a bit at the beginning. When we were preparing this conversation, I was used to discussing with you your GMF career and your stand for women empowerment. But then I found out that you went on a break and you went through a burnout experience. So maybe look, let's look at this immediately and kind of frame where you are now. In Brussels, we've known you as one of the most visible and known women who are very knowledgeable and very active in the transatlantic space and empowering everybody around. So I'm wondering, do we all have limits to our stand and the activities and projects that we stand for? And what are the lessons that you've been through these past months? And what are the conclusions when it comes to continuation of your previous projects? It's a big question, but I think it's uh, yeah, the, probably the most interesting one to ask up front. Yeah, and it's a question I'm thinking about and I'm not done yet, so maybe we should talk again in a year. Um, there are limits to what we human beings can do. And one of the things that I take away from the last few months is especially working in a policy environment where we are getting confronted on a daily basis with the crises that are in the world from climate change to wars to populism. Um, we can't fix it all and an individual can't fix it all. Each of us have to find our own ways of what we can contribute towards a world as we envision it. So in my sense, it would be one that is, um, you know, where there are principles of uh, democracy and equal rights and uh, human rights. Uh, so, yes, I realized that after a couple of years, very, very active in the policy environment, transatlantic, European, as well as in the field of sort of, yeah, women's empowerment, uh, gender or diversity and inclusion, really trying to install these principles within the Brussels policy community that you know, it was a very um, empowering, enriching um, time period uh, where I met new people, where I learned new skills, where I, you know, developed new networks and um, felt I made a contribution. But I reached a point where it was too much and I had to find different sort of priorities. So I had to redefine my priorities. And then it's also to what I said earlier on that I was... Um, 
disheartened by all the crises in the world and it's almost like I didn't know where to start uh, you know contributing to changes or solutions and uh, so my daughter had an accident she had to be operated twice and um, there was sort of a moment where yeah I felt like the rug was pulled under my feet and uh, the balance that I had sort of established in my life was no longer existing and I had to stop and the stopping was very strange because you know I took a few days off but to be honest I was sitting at home and I didn't know what to do I couldn't sleep I couldn't watch tv I couldn't read a book um, I didn't know what to do because previously in my life everything had been well organized um, everything was functional um, everything I did was for a reason I had to get a solution I had to finish a project, uh, connect people, and um, there was no time for me, there was no time for reflection. Yeah, so I didn't, all of a sudden, I didn't know what to do with that new, newfound, you know, the, that time that I all of a sudden had. So I basically first went back to work, but realized that I wasn't really very productive. And thankfully, I had uh, people around me in the professional context that were very, very understanding, including my, my boss, who said, you know, take the time to figure out what you need to get better. And so first I slowed down and then, um, yeah, I decided to sort of take a, take a break, um, use the summer to really disconnect. So part of that experience, for example, was um, not having any <laughs> contact uh, through mobile phone, uh, telephone, computer, Twitter, SMS, WhatsApp, uh, which I like. Complete online, offline detox. Exactly, yes. And I really, really enjoyed that. And I was in a context where there was, yeah, green nature. Yeah. And um, it was calm, and so that allowed me to sort of basically calm down first and uh, be occupied with myself and sort of other things that had absolutely nothing to do with politics and uh, the world, which then slowly allowed me to sleep again. It slowly allowed me to be able to read the newspaper like a, a person does who is not involved in politics. and. Uh, where I also could sort of, yeah, think a little bit about what I want to, rather than what I think other people want from me or what other people need. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that, because I think it's a very vulnerable space that you're in now. And we see, or at least me in my context, my world, I see that there's this epidemic of burnouts happening and some people... Uh, speak about it very lightly some people speak about it in a very responsible way and some people don't admit it because it's uh, also part of the software that we've downloaded from the society that we are not supposed to show the vulnerability and we're supposed to be hyperactive overachievers over delivering on multiple projects that we are in and that's why I opened with saying that that's how we used to know you as the deputy director of German Marshall Funds Brussels office and as an author, as a speaker, as a leader of many projects which aim at empowering women here in Brussels context. 
So I'm wondering how are what is your new do you already have clarity about what is your new stand your new composition of your days you're also a mom so I see you're back to the GMF business but I also assume or from what I've observed you cut down a little bit on your online presence so it seems like you've developed these new self-care practices and maybe you've established a new kind of maybe work-life balance as it used to be called or yeah and different kind of balance and distribution of activity so have you reprioritized what you're engaged in and have you already also do you have a clarity about what is your next new stand or the projects that you will be involved in I I mean I only came back two weeks ago so in some ways I'm still exploring sort of this new lifestyle experimenting a little bit um, you know it's 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 difficult because on the one side you know we're demanding flexibility at work when it comes to when we work and where we work which I certainly benefited from you know being a mother of a child and also wanting to spend some time with my my daughter so you know I would work I would go home to spend time with her and then at home I would go back to the computer and continue working um, and you know sometimes spending an afternoon at home with her and also sort of doing work so I, I'm really appreciative of these new means that uh, you know digital technology kind of gives us, but there's a flip side to it that, that could also mean you never stop. And yeah, and there a- are no limits because the technology allows us to continue working whenever the kids are sleeping, and so we never create that space for ourselves. Exactly. Yes. So certainly, one rule I have is when I go home, I do not look at my work phone and I don't look at my work email. As a start, so I have my evenings back, so to speak. That's one part. It's the other is, and again, I'm recognizing, you know, I am in a very privileged sort of space. I work for a think tank uh, where, you know, we have, I mean, we're dependent on the political cycles. And uh, at the same time, you know, we all work on sort of different things and there are sort of opportunities coming coming our way. Um, so I, I, I pick and choose a little bit more as to what I want to do um, and it's a combination of sharing the expertise that I have um, but also looking for sort of new opportunities to learn something um, but it's ultimately also about you know requiring colleagues my own institution or you know sort of requiring a bit of a change of how we do things and one of the things that was sort of you know it's the hardest part but in some ways also a bit of fun is that sort of over the last year or two I mean I'm I, I'm totally aware I'm, I'm challenging the system because I'm usually the one in the room kind of you know people we are talking about oh we need to find a policy solution for x y and z or we want to do this and I come in and I say with sort of new approaches new ideas and you know half of the room sort of looks at me and say oh you have no idea what you're talking about it we've always used did it this way or you don't have enough experience and you hear you don't have enough experience yeah yeah and my take is is i i do have i mean i have a different life experience and i just have a different approach and the old ways of doing things have not worked so why not trying it differently and the fact that we have fragmented um, uh, fragmented societies new parties arising with extremist views on the left and the right is for me a sign that there are other people who felt like their voices were not heard. And so, you know, we need to do things differently. 
What does it mean concretely for your engagement in the women's project? Because you, um, you've led the WIS, which is the Women in International Security project here, which also uh, offers very a beautiful mentoring program for women who are in, uh, active in the international security defense policy making here in Brussels. You're also a co-founder of Brussels Binder, to which I'm inviting everybody who's listening, please sign up. It's a, it's basically a database of women speakers in different kind of issues, which serves for organizers of events, conferences and workshops whenever they're looking for speakers or hosts to find women speakers and experts and to stop using this excuse that we don't have enough women out there to, to offer their opinion and expertise on different kind of subjects. I feel that Brussels Binder really had an impact on the way Brussels Bubble is organized and how the events look. There is in many parts of the policy making world, in some of them the manuals, as we call them, the men-only panels, are over. The organizers and also the, the keynote speakers are much more conscious of the fact that they need to request other women to be with them on the panel to stop with this bias. And so now I'm thinking after this reflection period that you've been through, does it have any impact on your vision of which are the next projects for the women which are needed in town in terms of the form and substance in order to increase the impact? Have you arrived to some kind of conclusions which have shown you how we could be doing better or differently all these women empowerment projects in order to basically proceed more effectively or more quickly? Well, yes and no. I mean, you're right. The binder was privileged enough to come into fruition at a time period when there were various development that helped sort of, you know, or the society to pay attention to this, um, whether it was the Me Too movement, things that happened in the United States, just, you know, the fact President Trump was elected and that got a number of women in the U.S. on the streets and into politics. Um, now, you know, we had Commissioner Georgieva who really tried to make an, a, a point by increasing the number of women in, in, in management position. Um, and now the president-elect uh, was Ursula von der Leyen who is also very adamant about having diversity actually beyond gender um, in the new commission. So this is wonderful, you know, parallel developments um, that we, you know, we could sort of benefit from and we are part of. You know, I, I, I still believe in the things, a lot of the things that the women said whom I interviewed in the book that I co-authored with Claudia Calderini on Women Leading the Way in Brussels um, and their advice that they said, you know, in terms of, you know, you need to be authentic um, and you need to have a partner at home that helps you, you know, both in your work, but also in the private sphere. So you partner together. Um, you need to be really good in what you do. I think with my sort of experiences over the sort of past few years is networks among women are incredibly important and I'm not just meaning networks, you know, formal networks, but it's just us being together with uh, it's it's with our female colleagues, uh, our friends, um, other women we meet at conferences that we we build sort of alliances, we connect, and um, because I think we often realize we have similar experiences, and just the fact by coming together, um, even if it's just in an event, kind of supporting each other's um, messages, you know, around the table or 
and a coffee break sort of sharing our contact details I, I think it gets us a long way so it's this collaborative this um, yeah some people call it sisterhood um, but just sort of recognizing each other sort of in the room that I think this is important and it, it continues to be um, more and more important and then the other thing is that women you know don't forget sort of what do they want um, and sort of they are the first priorities and then everything else comes after that and with that also comes you know you might have very different uh, reasons for why you are for women's empowerment or opportunities for women or gender equality um, and we need to recognize still here in Europe, we have women with very different life experiences. And that means, you know, coming from different region, Eastern, Eastern, Central Eastern Europe, Northern Europe, Southern Europe. Um, but it also means rural and urban. It means different social classes. Um, it means different ethnic diversities and different age groups. So it's sort of the acceptance, you are all women, but we're different. And so, you know, the... The ways how we connect will be very, very different. Well, you know, rather than sort of trying to avoid it or deny it and stay in our, you know, Facebook bubbles or Twitter bubbles or whatever, it's let's, I think we need to do more to sort of look for these connections with women who, you know, might think differently, might not call themselves feminist or, you know, have had a different experience, but still see if there's something that connects us so you know we can continue on whatever we're working on together. So that's why the book that you wrote with Claudia, Women Leading the Way in Brussels, was so important because it finally started shedding light on what, it, what is the how of the women leaders in town. Which brings me to a question about what is feminine leadership for you because it's the new word which finally makes it to the general policy, <laughs> I mean the institutional, the HR discourse where many people are asking themselves if, if there is a universal definition of how we would like to see a modern conscious woman leading towards the future, or is there different colorful varieties of this? And as examples, I'm thinking about obviously Ursula von der Leyen, who's already shown how big her stand for gender equality is. And obviously another example is my dear president, Zuzana Chaputova, who's also shown beautifully in her campaign how you can bring a different kind of communication into politics. Both of them are different, coming from completely different spaces and cultural uh, backgrounds. So I'm thinking now, what are your thoughts on what do they have in common as new modern women leaders? Where do you see differences? Uh, is there something that each of us should be learning from each other? Or is it really about each of us finding our own way of leading? Hmm. Well, I think I would doubt that both of them would define their leadership as feminist. Um, feminine? Oh, feminine. I, and I, I'm certainly not somebody who would argue women are better leaders. And I think history has shown we've had very different leaders that weren't always as good. Yeah. Good and bad of both sides. They're good and bad on both sides. I think what we see, though, is by having more women in decision-making or leading positions is that they often have a very different style or bring new attributes to the way of leading. And I think we've seen it with actually with Angela Merkel. We've seen it with Ursula von der Leyen. I mean, there is this willingness, this openness, and this clear sign they're willing to listen um, so they're not so focused on 
themselves, but you know they focus on the the the, the issue at stake. Um, so there's uh, uh, they contribute to a particular environment that can lead to sort of compromises and and finding a sort of joint resolution rather than a, a you know win lose sort of situation. And um, so I think that's sort of something that is, um, you know, very important to the moving forward, that it, it's not about you and your leadership position and, you know, that you won, but it's about getting the issue, the subject matter forward or finding a solution to a particular problem. And, you know, the women I just named sort of have a track record on sort of bringing sort of people on board. Of course, also, you know, making certain people angry and it's more the people who feel like they're losing something about themselves or because they're so used to the old way because that's familiar and you know they're a bit afraid about what the new way of doing things actually means. I think it's also important that we start discussing more the subject of women in politics. Uh, we've uh, discussed this obviously a couple months ago when uh, myself I was embarking on this journey of figuring out how to bring in this, um, yeah, the, the women's aspect into my campaign that I was going through in Slovakia. And um, the other day I met a another colleague, a woman activist in town who raised the subject of, of women in politics, women in elections, and whether a European Commission can actually do anything to to boost the women's readiness and the political party's readiness to support women in elections. I'm thinking what you're thinking about is, can we do something from Brussels as the European headquarters, let's say, where all the parties are headquartered, in order to help parties build as if they were building the youth organizations, build their women's organizations, their women's chapters, in order to feed the funnel with with more women who are then obviously more likely to vote differently and co-design different kind of policies. Hmm. I, I mean, I'm really, um, you know, I was super happy to see, you know, the, the number of women running for European Parliament, sort of like you, with mixed results, um, but I I thought it showed a, a tremendous energy and enthusiasm from large part of the population that we've never really taken into account uh, during elections. So I, you know, that's a really really good sign. Um, and the more women we see here in Brussels in the European Commission uh, or in the Parliament or the leadership positions, is you know, it, it they all serve as role models for for the next time around. Um, Political parties clearly play a huge role in this, um, and for a variety of reasons, I think it is time that political parties really need to rethink about how they're structured and how they function and how they communicate. Um, it is because of technological developments, um, but it's also about you know needing to be more inclusive if they want to get more voters. So Brussels can lead by good examples. But ultimately, what needs to happen is back in the EU member states that um, you know local chapters, national chapters need to encourage their communities to really reflect on sort of how you do things. Um, and I guess we as women must reflect on how we can support other women. That's a big one that I was getting uh, yeah. all the time, people asking me, but how does it really look like on the ground? Do really women help each other? So that's also another topic for another conversation. One last thing that I'm really thinking about, if there's one piece of advice that you would like to share with women listening to us in particular, those who are at the beginning of their careers, who are also embarking on very ambitious career projects, we 
a lot of, let's say, pro bono or not pro bono assignments on the side, really running around like crazy, trying to be of contribution and develop their brand and develop their careers. Some of them already have their families, just like you have your daughter. What is this one piece of wisdom that you have uh, to share with them? Is it possible to design it in such way that we can have it all, have careers and self-expression and family at the same time? Or is there something that we should start compromising on in order to protect our mental and physical and spiritual health? Well, two phrases come to my mind. I mean, somebody whom I interviewed for the book that Claudia and I wrote said, you know, you can have it all, you just can't have it all at the same time. And I think there's some truth to it. And then life in one way or the other is about compromise. I mean, especially also when we're in relationships, it's at times, you know, we're not in the same mind, so we need to compromise. So I don't think you can get away with this. But what I'm trying to certainly do now is, a, you know, I come first. And if I am well, then the things I do, I can do well and I, you know, I can be um, useful for others. And it's a little bit, you know, take your mobile phone. Uh, you always try to have the battery on full um, and you don't want your mobile phone to die and be empty. And, you know, you can basically say this about yourself. Make sure that your own batteries are full so you can actually operate. Um, no, I, I think it is very important for women that they have elements in their life that they truly enjoy. Um, and that is, you know, can be family, um, it, it can be philanthropic work, it could be advocacy work, it can even be the job, colleagues, um, friends. But yeah, those are all elements that help us to recharge and feel that they're making a contribution and get yeah. the recognition. Thank you very much for finding the space, creating the space for talking to us at this very uh, new stage of your career and private life. So thank you again and we wish you all the best in recreating the new path that you have ahead of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!